Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. If you're taking notes, very simple message I want to share with you tonight as we finish and conclude this series of messages we've been in all month called Known. This very simple message, it's titled this, I may not know, but I know. I may not know, but I know. There are some things that I may not know, but at the very same time, there are some things I know. You know, there is some mystery involved in our our life. There's some mystery involved in what our future may hold. And I think a lot of people live concerned with the things they don't know, never fully realizing the things that they do know. Here the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.16, he says, live up to what you've already attained. So like when you don't know all the answers, you need to revert back to what you do know. Earlier this week, my daughter Sophie, uh, she's preparing to enter into high school and her teacher suggested to her as she uh, transitions out of elementary school into high school that she should take this test that would allow her to skip a grade of mathematics. She excels in, in math, and so she said, you should go take this test, and you can prepare in doing so uh, to, to skip grade 8 and head straight into grade 9. And so in order to do so, you got to do well on this, this test. And uh, so she's, she's brilliant. I was going to say I don't know where she got it, but I do. And, uh, and so she's, she's on her way into this exam. And, and I said, so if, when you get to the exam, here's what I want you to do. Open up the, the, the pages of the exam. Look at all the questions. And then answer the ones that you know. When you have time left, go to the ones you don't know. So she came out of the exam, and uh, she had a big smile on her face. I said, how was it? She said, oh, it was great. So I looked through the test. There was 44 questions. I think I knew 41 of them. So I answered those ones, and then I didn't have very much time left. And so then I dealt with the last three at the end. She was walking out with, with some of her friends who had also taken the test. And, and I said, hey, girls, how, how did you feel about the test? They said, oh, man, this, I, I got to the first page, and, and one of the first questions, it didn't even make sense to me. I didn't know what it was about, and I just got confused. And then I got rattled, and one of the girls said, I just didn't even fill in that page because I didn't know any of the answers. And and the perspective change was, was noted that when we start with what we know, there is this quiet confidence that comes upon us rather than starting in the mystery. Do you know that, that people only have the ability to truly focus on one thing at a time? Like to really only focus on one thing at a time. And yet we live in, in this incredibly distracted generation. You know, scholars say that, uh, that people check their phones upwards to 300 times per day. Three, that, if, if you only looked at your phone for one second, that would mean every three and a half minutes you check your phone. That's the average. Interestingly, in 2011, that number was 32 times a day. So in the last eight to nine years, people have grown 10 times more likely to just check their phone just to see if there's anything new that they need to take in, any new information. Now you can look into some studies and you say, well, I am below average in this regard. There are some millennials somewhere who's just spiking this up. Could be true. But the reality is this. We can only really focus on one thing at a time. And yet there's some people in the room that you have been told, or maybe you have told others, I'm a multitasker. I'm able to do multiple things at the same time and do so with excellence. Science would say that you 
are deceived. They've done studies that those who think they are better at multitasking are actually not only bad at multitasking, they are worse than those who, who know they're not good at it. That even simple sequences of numbers, simple definitions and information are hard to retain if distracted in any sort of way. Because focus, by very definition, means to not look at some things so you can narrow your attention into one thing. And so here's what I believe happens so often is is we have this distraction that takes place between the things we do know and the things we don't know. And distracted by what we don't know, we fail to ever focus on what we do know. It's this battle that takes place between fear and faith. Fear is what we don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what, what, what may come. And, and, and so in all of that realm of the unknown, there's this fear that comes. But a confident person filled with faith says, you know what, I'm going to focus not on what I don't know, but, but what I do know. Do you know what's impossible to hide and seek at the same time? Think about it. Think of how weird that game would be, by the way. We're all going to play hide and seek. Who's it? All of us. Who's hiding? All of us, right? And yet spiritually, I think there are a lot of people who are trying to hide and seek at the same time. They're hiding the parts of themselves that they feel are unsightly. They feel are, are, are unwelcomed. They feel that in some way, shape, or form would be offensive to, to God or whatever higher power they define as, as, as God. And at the same time, they're seeking truth. You can't hide and seek at the same time. We can only really focus on one thing or another. I see a lot of people so stuck on what they don't know, asking big uh, metaphysical questions, big ethical questions, philosophical questions, and never actually taking the first step of faith because they are stuck on what they don't know. Paul says this, hey, let's just live up to what we've already attained. Tonight I want to highlight in a really simple story that, that may be similar to this passage of Scripture, there are some of us who could get stuck on what we don't know, but in the very same manner, there are some things on the other side of that, that fear, like faith-filled things, uh, what we do know. Can we, can we look at a story together? It's in John chapter 21. I'm going to give you a second to turn there. John chapter 21, as you turn, this is coming right off the heels of the resurrection. Last Sunday, if you were in church, we talked about uh, the reality that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross, and he died a sinner's death, though he was perfect. He, he took our place. He became a curse so we could become the righteousness of God, went to the tomb, and didn't stay there. He rose again. And on the third day, as he rose again, he appeared to Mary. He appeared to Peter and John and James and the disciples. And in the book, of, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians says it to about 500 people. This is one of those stories. This is one of those interactions of the risen Savior uh, who had died and rose again, appearing to people. It's into this unknown that, uh, that we pick up a story. John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. I read this, uh, this quote today. I thought it was interesting. A quote by Plato said this, I'm the wisest man alive. I think if you just ended the quote there, that's a great quote. <laughs> Plato. <laughs> that should be your Instagram handle. I am the wisest man alive. Plato. He goes this, I'm the wisest man alive, for I know one thing, and that is simply that I know nothing. I'm the wisest man alive because I've, I've, I've concluded I know nothing. I'm like, Plato, I, I think you actually kind of missed it there. Great quote. It's tweetable. 
But when it comes down to it, uh, we, we don't know nothing. There are a few things we can, we can be assured of. John chapter 21 and verse 1 says this. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and then two other disciples were together. I'm going to go fishing, Peter said. We'll go with you, they answered. So they went out and they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Can someone say nothing? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they said. He then said to them, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did so, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Je- the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he put on his outer garment, which he had taken off to work, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for there were not, uh, they weren't far from shore, only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coal there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. He dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Jesus said to them, come, let's have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew who he was. Jesus came. He took the bread. He gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that he appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. In this very uh, simple interaction with his disciples, with Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two that weren't named, Jesus, he, he highlights, I think, there's some things that we don't know. But in the very same light, there's some things that we, we do know. First of all, these disciples were in a, in, in a period of time where they didn't know what to do next. Have you ever been there? Anyone ever been there? Maybe you're there tonight. You're like, I don't know what, what's next for me. I'm not quite sure what to do next. Like you, you studied and you saved and you selected your courses and you wrote your exams and you smashed a couple Red Bulls, and you wrote all your papers, and you wrote more exams, and then you walk across the stage with a flat hat on and a tassel in your eye, and they put the tassel in the other eye, and now you are a graduate? And now what? Like, what, what's the next thing I'm supposed to do? Have you ever felt that feeling? Like you saved, and you prepared, and you waited until there was a, the, the right sale, and you got approved, and, and then you went and you purchased that vehicle, that car that you've been saving up for, and you drove off the lot, and then you're like, well, now what? You went on the trip, like you studied, you went to TripAdvisor, you, you've looked at every photo, every hashtag from that location, you, you got there, you ate there, you selfied there, you were there, and then you, you land back at home, and now what? You planned the wedding, and all the, the flowers were perfect, and the catering was there, and the speeches weren't too, too tragic, and, uh, and, and it went off, and people seemed to like it, and then you're like, but now the wedding's over, and now, now what? You ever been there? That season of I'm not quite sure what's next for me. You see, I, I think that's what Peter and James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel and those two disciples who weren't even mentioned were feeling. But here's the thing. I may not know what's next, but I know 
that Jesus shows up in everyday life. I may not know what's next, but I I know this. Jesus shows up in everyday life. I love this story because Jesus appears to them while they're fishing. They're not doing anything that you would say is very spiritually significant. They're not doing anything that you would look at and say, wow, they're showing their sincerity at this point. They're simply living life. And Jesus has a way to enter into the normal, enter into the mundane, and make it something special. I love this. I, you know, Some scholars have said Peter made a bad decision here, that, that somehow by going fishing he was, he was forgetting who he was and he was returning back to his old way of life, maybe. Other scholars have said uh, on the flip side, wow, Peter, great job. You, you didn't just sit around. You were industrious. You recognized that there was a new day and, and so you went to reverted to what you knew to do. And Maybe. I don't know. But here's what I do know is that Jesus can appear in everyday life. I think sometimes we're worried and concerned that if we don't show the right type of sincerity, we don't jump through the proper hoops spiritually and guess just right that we're going to miss Jesus and that the season of, of a lack of clarity will just continue on forever. But in reality, Jesus shows up in everyday life. And I want to encourage you today, maybe you're in a season where you're like, I'm not sure what's next. First of all, uh, you know, on those examples that I used, here's what's next. You get a job, you drive the car, you enjoy your marriage and work on it, right? Like, like, like you keep on going, you keep on moving forward. That's what you do. But here's the thing. If spiritually you feel like I'm just not what sure, like quite sure what's next, I want you to just take a deep breath and be at ease. Jesus appears in everyday normal life. Like he's real. He's active and interactive. So here they were doing the most normal thing they knew how to do. They were going fishing, and they were doing it poorly, which also is pretty encouraging for me. I mean, maybe you're like, not only do I not know what to do, I don't even feel like I'm doing the things I know how to do right. Have you ever been there? But Jesus, he appears into the every day, and something miraculous takes place. They're fishing and failing at fishing. Jesus walks onto the shore. This would have been happening probably all morning because fishermen fished all night, and then in the morning people would walk to the shore and say, hey, you got anything? And uh, they would make a transaction on the beach. So this was really normal. It said they didn't even know it was Jesus probably because they're, look, you're like the 10th person who's asked. It's been a really rough night, to be honest. And so Jesus called, hey, you got anything? And no, we haven't caught a thing. And Jesus says this, hey, why don't you take that net and just throw it onto the right side of the boat? And I bet you this triggered a memory for Peter. Bet you this triggered James and John's memory because when he was first called, when Jesus first called him, this same type of story happened. This same type of story where Jesus, he finds Peter, and he says, Peter, how, how was, your, how was your, your fishing last night? It was a total failure. Hey, why don't you push out to the deep water and try one more time? And it said at that point they caught so many fish that their nets broke and their boats began to sink. And then in that moment, Jesus said, Peter, I want you to follow me. And I will make you not only successful in this fishing industry, but I'll make you successful in actually bringing people together. He put it this way, I'll make you fish for men, fish for people, and it will be successful. You'll have an ability to gather. I bet you in that moment, They were like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. 
I've heard a weird instruction from a person on a beach before. They were about 100 yards away. I don't know how, how good Peter and James and John's eyes were, but someone was shouting out, try the right side of the boat. Jesus appearing into the really normal and mundane. And, and so they do it, and guess what happens? Blessing happens. See, the second thing that we don't always know that I want to highlight, and I think this story does so well, is I may not know why Jesus asked for something specific, but I know that blessing follows obedience. I may not understand why Jesus asked me to do something so specific and odd, but I do know this, there's blessing on the other side of obedience. You know, there's some here you're like, no, no, you know, I'm not in that first camp, like what now? I know what now, I just don't like what now. Like I know my next move, I just don't like my next move. Because my next move, it's like forgiving someone. And when I break it down into all its constituent parts, I don't like the thought of that. Like there's no logical sense. Why should I have to forgive them? They were wrong. Why don't they make the first move? Have you ever had this kind of logic roll through your head? Like why should it be on me to let them, you know, just let them go for free? And yet there's blessing on the other side of obedience. You know, another thing the Bible would say, which seems so counterintuitive, generosity. Like, whoa, 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 Jesus, why? Like, why? 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 Like, what? why? Like, no, seriously, why? It's mine. It's mine. Why? Those are words that I hear quite often in my home. Why and mine. It comes from my kids, and I, I also know where they got that. Probably from me. That's human nature. Why? Because it's mine. And then here, here's, here's Jesus. He goes, here's the principle. If you refresh others then I will refresh you. And we're like, whoa, 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 like, can you just refresh me first so I know to what proportion I should refresh others? And Jesus is like, trust me. Take a step of obedience, and then there's blessing that follows. You know, what, what's your next step? You're like, I think I need to change my relationship status, not just on Facebook, but like for real. But I don't like that move. I think I need to I think I need to go apologize to my ugh, boss, my coworker, my roommate. Just don't like it very much. I think I need some discipline in my life, but I don't really I don't care for that. Why does Jesus ask for something specific? Well, there's blessing on the other side. He says to these disciples, throw your, your net onto the right side of the boat. Now, let's not get distracted. There's nothing about the right side that differs from the left side except for it's where Jesus asked them to throw it. There's nothing like, oh, let's read in. What does the word right mean here? No, it's, it's just simply this. Jesus said, do it my way. Do it my way. In our life, in our actions and interactions, I believe Jesus would be saying to you and I, hey, could you do it my way? And if you'd take a step of obedience, there's blessing on the other side. I love it in this, in this scripture. It says there was 153 fish. What a crazy thing to say. Why 153 fish? Scholars have, have questioned this. The, 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 the early church father, Jerome, he, that what a great name, eh? <laughs> Jerome, father of the church. My name is Jerome, and uh, I am birthing the church across the world. That's amazing. Jerome, 
He assumed that perhaps there was 153 species of fish and somehow through this story that Jesus was making a statement that, that it was like all of the peoples in the world in the same way. Could be, but there was no actual systematic findings of how many species of fish are. And we would go on to know there's, there's a whole lot more than that. There, there's some interesting things. Like if you look in the Greek language, the, the word Peter, it has a number. Every word, or, sorry, in the Hebrew language has a number. And the number for the word Peter plus the number for the word fish equals 153, which is kind of weird. Maybe that's why. You know, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, there is, I'm telling you stuff right now that has zero application, okay? It's just interesting. In the book of Genesis, the, the word for God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is referred to as the tetragrammaton. It is actually listed in the book of Genesis 153 times. I don't know if that has anything to do with the number of fish, but it's kind of cool. You know, at that time and in that place, there, there was a, a mathematician in the, that would have been contemporary uh, to this time named Archimedes. And in the Greek world, the Greek context to which John was writing this book, this number 153 is actually significant in Archimedes' mathematical equations as he looked at the way that two circles, this is so interesting to three people in the room and everyone else is like, why are we talking about math? That he uses the number 153. In fact, in his writings of the 10 different types of equations he did, nine of them resulted in the, word, the number 153. Perhaps John was making a statement to the Greek audience that, that like Jesus, he, he's, he's bigger than the wisdom of the world. And he actually contains the wisdom of the world. I don't know. Do you know the number 153 is just sort of weird? Like it's the, it, it is the equation of the first 17 integers, like 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5, up to number 17 equals 153. And so some scholars have said perhaps it is the 10 commandments plus the seven, you know, uh, gifts of the Spirit put together. That's 17, Adam, maybe. Number 153 is called a narcissistic number, meaning that if you take one cubed plus five cubed plus three cubed, you add, you add them all together, it equals 153. Number 153, it's just so weird. Or maybe John was just a fisherman and he's like, this is going to be a good story. I got to get a good count on this. Like I caught this fish, it was this big, and there was 152 other ones. I have no idea why 153, but I do know this that 153 was a lot more fish than zero, right? It was a lot more. It was significant. It was miraculous. It, it was sent by God. I also know this, that those fish wouldn't be caught if not for a boat, a net, and somebody to throw the net. Like some people I think, like, well, if God wants to bless me, he can just go ahead and bless me. I'm waiting. You know, if God wants to bless me, I, I'm waiting for him to prove himself. Here's one, one principle I've found to be true and consistent throughout Scripture is when we do what is natural, then God does what is supernatural. That when we do the natural step of obedience, then God comes through in a supernatural way. In this story, Jesus says, I just want you to do the most natural, simple thing. Take the net that you've been throwing, throw it on the other side of the boat and watch what happens. And then a miracle takes place. The other thing that you'll note that I find just so life-giving in this story is that by the time Peter swam 100 yards to, to shore, recognizing a miracle had taken place, he, he went towards Jesus. Finding Jesus had already started a fire and had already cooked some fish for breakfast. In other words, like in this relationship with Jesus, he doesn't need what we have. We need what he has. 
He, he's not waiting for us to bring, you know, the good stuff to this relationship. He started it. He's, he, he's supplying for it. He has all we need. So he wasn't saying, Peter, I'm so hungry. Can you catch me some fish? He's saying, Peter, I want you to know that I am your sufficiency and I have more than you even brought to this. I'm already ready for you. Isn't that awesome? That here, Here's Jesus. I might not know why he's asked me to do something specific. Come on, let's give God some praise. But I know this. There's blessing on the other side of obedience. Someone here tonight, you're listening to this. You're like, ah, I know my next step. I just don't like it. I want to encourage you. You might not know why that, that obedience is so important, but there's blessing on the other side. Number three, third thing I see in this story, third thing that, that, that I see highlighted in this story it comes in the, in the next section. They finished eating. Jesus hands bread. He hands fish. Then they sit down together, and, and Jesus asks Peter this question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, God. Jesus, yeah, I, I love you. I really do. Jesus says, then I want you to, to feed my sheep. In other words, if you love me, then I want you to express that love by being like me. Like I've just served you right? I've just been kind to you. So if you love me, I want you to live like me and care for other people. And then Jesus says again, hey, Peter, do you love me? And I imagine Peter's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Like, we seriously just had this conversation. Like, just now, I I still love you. And Jesus says, and Peter, I want you to, to feed my sheep. Like, do the thing that I would do. If you love me, it should be more than just lip service. If you love me, it should affect the way you live your life. And he goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? And says that this, Peter was, was hurt. He's like, Jesus, man, like I've told you, what more can I do? And he goes, here's what more you can do. Love people. You know what's interesting about this story is that just a few days before, Peter had been together with Jesus and the other disciples. So amongst them, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and the other two who aren't even named in this story. And he had made this big statement to Jesus. Jesus, just want you to know, I don't know about these other fools, but I love you. I love you more than all of them. They might reject you. I'll never reject you. And then within hours, as Jesus was being put to trial, mocked, jeered, criticized, ridiculed, and ultimately taken to the, the cross where he would die, Peter denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Someone goes, hold on, Jesus, hey, you and Jesus are friends, right? Peter goes, no, no, I don't know him. Not his friend. A few minutes later, someone says, hold on, you guys are from the same town. It's a small place. You talk the same, you sound the same. You're together, right? And Peter goes, me? No, I'm not. And then it, Lynn, this like, girl walks up to him. She goes, hold up. I know your friends. Like I checked on Instagram. You guys follow each other. You comment on each other's, but you're friends. I've seen you together. I know you are. And, and, and the Bible says Peter curses her. He's like, go to hell. I am not with him. I wonder how those next few days played out for Peter. As he was thinking like, man, what was I thinking? Have you ever thought that to yourself? What was I thinking? You ever woken up on like a Saturday afternoon thinking, what was I thinking last night? Have you ever replayed a conversation in your head and then thought, why did I say that? Like, what was I thinking? Or the things you didn't do? 
You read, man, if I had it to do again, I would do things so differently. But what was I thinking? Here's, I think, what's being highlighted here. I may not know what I was thinking, but I do know what Jesus thinks of me. I may not know what I was thinking in that moment of weakness, in that moment of sin, but I do know what Jesus thinks of me. Here's Jesus loving him, serving him, and publicly restoring him. I think it's significant that he says it three times. He's reliving in the same way that you denied me. I just want you to know I still love you. There's still room for you. The, the invitation to feed his sheep was not a task. Now you go get to work. It was an invitation. You can still follow me. Because at the end of these three times, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Then feed my sheep. And then he says this, now follow me. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus publicly restoring him in front of the same guys. I imagine that conversation, somebody goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? Thomas is like, heard this one before, Pete. We all know how that went down. Yeah, I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. No way. James, did you hear that? Jesus is giving him a second chance. No, I didn't hear it. Oh, here it is again. <laughs> hey, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I, 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 I still want you to follow me. Then the two disciples who aren't even named here, it's like, Jesus is like, hey, Peter, sorry, man. They weren't listening. I'm just going to ask you one more time, okay? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Guys, you listening? You listening? Okay, they're listening. Then I want you to know, like, there's still room for you. Still love you. Still call it. When you were at your worst, I still see the best in you. Love you. Follow me. Instead of reliving over and over, imagine that conversation going down like this. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Then why'd you deny me? Told you so. Called it. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. Okay, here's what you need to do. Go back and find all those people you denied me to and make it right. Go find that girl that you cursed and tell her you actually did know me all along. Pay me back. Fix it. He could have rubbed Peter's face in it. We probably would have said, hey, it's legit. Peter was, Peter was off. It's his bad. But here's the thoughts of Jesus towards you. Even when you don't know, what was I thinking? You can know what he's thinking of you. It's time to, to be free from regret. Stop thinking about the, the things that hold you back, the regrets that you have. And start remembering the love he has for you. Number four, lastly, I may not know what Jesus has planned for somebody else, but I know he's asked me to follow him. See, Jesus says, Peter, because I want you to follow me, I'm just going to get you on a little secret. Uh, life's not going to always be easy. Following me is not without a cost. Obedience to me actually is going to require something. And he goes on to say, like, you feel really free now. There will be a time where you're not so free. And, and many would say he was indicating the way in which Peter would die. Peter's response immediately, he's like, well, what about John? How real is that? What about John? Is John going to have a bad life too? Man, I don't know what God has planned for other people, but I know he's asked me to follow him. We're a distracted bunch. I think this, is, this highlights what comparison looks like. How silly it looks, we chuckle. What about John? What's he doing? Jesus just restored him. Jesus just called him to leadership. Like just to like leave while the, the, the what is the, the saying? While the going's good? Whatever that means. But he's like, what about John? And then I think of the way we live our lives, constantly looking at the way others live. Hey, how'd they get that job? How'd they get that house? What, what are they doing with their style? What about their church? What about their ministry? What about their career? What about their family? What about their body? What about their, over and over, we live in constant comparison with the people around us. What about them? What about them? What about them? What about them? I don't know what God has planned for the people around me, but I know he's called me. 
And Jesus just answers Peter and says, Peter, what, what does it matter to you what I got planned for John? It's you I'm calling. I think this story is so significant because of the unnamed disciples. I, I, like I, I, I read myself into this story. I'm the unnamed disciple and so are you. Living in the same type of reality, the same type of thinking. I don't know what comes next, but I know Jesus can appear into everyday life. I don't know why he asks for something so specific, why obedience matters to him, but I do know there, there's blessing on the other side. Just one more little fact for you. Do you know if you count up all the people Jesus interacted with miraculously in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's 153 of them. Isn't that crazy? What a weird number. I know there's blessing, like big blessing on the other side of obedience. Number three, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Like truly at my worst, I don't know what I was thinking. Sin is crazy. To have the, the, the grace of God, the love and kindness of God, and then choose our own way for a moment of pleasure or, or for a moment of acceptance or because we're lazy, like it's crazy. But even at our worst, we can know what Jesus is thinking about us. He still wants us. He still called us. He still purposed us. And all he's looking for is where's your heart at? Do you love me? Not can you prove it. Just do you love me? If you love me, then I'm going to help you look like me. Follow me as I love people. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Follow me as I feed my sheep. Follow me. And then lastly, I don't know what God's got for someone else. Why would I live in comparison? Comparison makes us crazy. Instead, Let's remember this. He's called you. He's called me to follow him. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.